Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. The text this morning is Nehemiah chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 8. Nehemiah 1, 1 to 2, 8. Hear now God's word. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night, For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? 
So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. A leading question for us to consider this morning. How are we to respond in the face of discouraging news? And especially discouraging news about Christ's church. How are we to respond? For surely that is what has come to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. He's in a rather comfortable position. He's rather insulated from what may be happening in Judah, and yet he inquires and receives devastating news. So as we consider this chapter and a half, and what it may have to teach us about how we respond, let's first see the plight of God's people. We see this in chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, the plight of God's people. I'll, I'll note again Nehemiah's insulation from the problems of Jerusalem. He's far away, he's comfortable, he is unaffected. And yet he's interested. He wants to hear news of the land of his fathers. He wants to know what's happening among God's people who've Made it back. He's not answered the call himself. Doesn't seem interested in returning to Judah. He has it made, you might say, in Susa. And yet he wants to know. And as soon as he hears, he is moved by their plight. He's struck to the heart by what he learns. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. They're suffering disgrace. Their position is precarious. And why? Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is not because of Babylon. That's old news. Nehemiah did not need to hear some 
century and a half later, that the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and torn down its walls and burned them. If you remember, when we were moving through Ezra, when we hit chapter 4, they encountered opposition, and there was a flash forward to the time of Artaxerxes, as if to say the opposition they're encountering now is a fair description of this entire period, whether we're rebuilding the temple or the city. And it's news of what we saw a glimpse of early in chapter 4 that Nehemiah hears now. You remember a complaint was made because the wall was being built and they wrote to Artaxerxes to say, this is a rebellious city. You really don't want that wall. And Artaxerxes searched the archives. He said, you know, you're right. Let's stop that until I make a decree otherwise. A rather unusual line to add, and yet in God's providence, it was placed in that decree. So that at the end of the chapter, in Ezra 4, verse 23, they came and by force and power made them cease. And that force and power seems to have included a little bit of wreckage along the way. So that what had been done was torn down. Things were set ablaze. And now Nehemiah hears the news. And it's the king he serves that allowed it to happen. And indeed, underwrote the enterprise to make it cease. What would Nehemiah think? At this moment. Well we, we get a glimpse of it. But what would you think. In this moment. Suppose God. Blessed you with an, a lofty position. Far away. In some other part. Of the United States. Or even the world. And you're serving. At the pleasure of a powerful leader. And someone visits you from Clinton. And you ask. Well how's it going. Back in the hometown. You say, you know, actually, it's not going well. The courthouse has been torn down and set ablaze. They entered the market square on market day with weapons and made the people disperse. And as the leader you serve, you made it happen. What you going to do? You're going to duck your head, keep your mouth shut, and try and make it out alive? Or are you going to start dusting off the resume in case somebody connects some dots and figures out you're from that town? How does Nehemiah respond? He, he could remain at this incredible remove from what's happening. Say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll send thoughts and prayers. Or, as we see here, does he immediately go to his knees? Does he weep to hear the news? Does he set himself to do something, though he knows not what? And he waits on the Lord. 
What happens when we hear of things going on in the life of our church members, of our neighbors, of our missionaries, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world? Do we allow it to affect us? Do we determine to do something? Do we seek the Lord's face or do we remain at a comfortable distance? Mark that email as read and stick it in the archive so that it doesn't continue to afflict our conscience. Send a text that says, I'll pray for you and stay comfortably uninvolved. Are we touched by the plight of God's people around us as Nehemiah was? But what do we see next as we move through the passage? We've seen the plight of God's people. In verses 4 through 11, the the remaining part of chapter 1, we see the prayer of God's servant. As soon as Nehemiah hears the words, he sits down, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts and prays continually. And in that prayer, what do we see? First, we see Nehemiah leaning into the covenant. He says, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You are a covenant-keeping God. He recognizes God's past mercies as the Lord has kept that steadfast love as he has displayed it to his people over generations. You keep steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. And oh boy, that raises a problem. Because in the midst of leaning into the covenant of reminding God and reminding himself of God's covenant, of his steadfast love, of his faithfulness toward those who keep his commandments, brings to mind for Nehemiah that he and his people have not kept God's commandments. And so in his prayer, he confesses his sin. He confesses his own sin. He confesses the sins of his father's house He confesses the sins of the nation. He brings them and lays them before the Lord. Lord, you are a covenant-keeping God. And I and we are a disobedient people. And so you have been faithful to the covenant in scattering us among the nations. Lord, you promised. You promised that if we responded to that judgment by turning back to you, that no matter how far you had flung us, so far would you go and bring us back. He leans into the covenant. He confesses sin and he prays God's promises. 
you return to me and keep my commandments, verse 9, and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Lord, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Let your ear be attentive. Let your ear be attentive. And he pleads. He's paraphrasing Deuteronomy 30 here. Verses 1 through 4, verses 1 through 5. He's taking God's promises and praying them back to the Lord. Lord, you have said, Lord, would you do? It's a model for us when we don't know how to pray, when we're trapped in the moment, when we don't have words. God has given us Words. We think of the Psalms, certainly. We see prayers like this in the Psalms. We have Nehemiah's prayer here, but we can also learn from Nehemiah as he uses other parts of Scripture to frame his prayer. Beloved, when you don't know how to pray, pray God's word back to him. Remind him of the covenant. Remind him of his faithfulness. Remind him of your sin and his promise to forgive in Christ. And then he pleads for favor. Nehemiah doesn't yet know what he's going to do. Perhaps he's planning this this time frame between when he receives the news and when he speaks up in the presence of the king is about four months. So he's got some time to think. His prayers are joined with plans. But at this point, he asks, Oh Lord, listen. Be attentive. And give success. And grant mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? It's the king. Nehemiah determines to use the position God has granted him. To do something, something on behalf of God's people. So we've seen the plight of God's people in the first three verses. How that strikes Nehemiah. How that should strike us. We see the prayer of God's servant, verses 4 through 11. How it's grounded in the covenant. It's grounded in God's promises to his people. We see in this first half of chapter 2 the, the pounce on the opportunity. As God makes a way, and Nehemiah grabs it. Nehemiah prays, and he watches, and he waits. And this is not a one-off prayer. He prayed this prayer, and prayers like it many times. We were told in verse 4 that he prayed day and Night, or four days, the ESV says, before the God of heaven. And four months later, the opportunity comes. Because God answers according to his wisdom and his timeline. Some of us have learned to watch and wait 
because we've experienced that. As we've prayed long for God to bring something about, and he doesn't answer it according to our desires or in the time frame we would wish. That's a difficult thing to reckon with. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God do great things for his people? Yes. Sometimes that looks like courage to die well. Sometimes that looks like strengthening you in affliction rather than delivering you from it. Sometimes that looks like teaching you your dependence upon him because others are watching. And they come to Christ because of what they see in you. Sometimes that looks like serving in the presence of the king who has caused the trial God's people are in for four months. Acting in his presence as if everything is fine. And then one day you forget to put on that mask before coming in with the wine and the king has more emotional intelligence than you give him credit for. And he asks a question that could mean life or death for you. That's what happens to Nehemiah. Four months later, presumably he's been serving the king this whole time. Never been sad in his presence, first one. But the king sees. Why are you sad? You're not sick. Your heart's sick. What's going on? Nehemiah's in a delicate position. Not just because of the access he has to the king. Because he's able to offer the king advice. He's able to control those who come. He is a part of the king's security team. And if he's upset, why is that? Has a plot failed? Is this the day for a coup? Has someone been imprisoned upon whom he was depending? The king might never ask. He might wait for Nehemiah to step out and say, hey, take him on a long walk. Come back alone. That would be very common for people in his position in this day. And so Nehemiah is terrified. Then I was very much afraid, a very understated way of describing how he feels in that moment. But the Lord has opened the way. The Lord has opened the way. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Notice how delicately Nehemiah moves. Because what city are we talking about? We're talking about Jerusalem. And whose fault is it that it lies in ruins? Oh, it's yours. O King Artaxerxes, 
It's by your decree that this has come about. And so he doesn't mention that. He wishes the king well. He plays on the king's sympathies for the, his concern for the graves of his fathers, the state of his home city. And the king could have said, curtains for you, my friend. Or the king could have said, that's sad. Let's hear a happy song. And instead, he says, well, what do you want? What are you requesting? This is not a sarcastic, like, let's get to it. But friend, what is your request? And so Nehemiah prays. He doesn't pray chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, but that's on his heart as he prays in this moment, probably something along the lines of, God help me. And then, puts it all out there. Again, with boldness and delicacy. As he requests, if it please the king, if I found favor, send me to Judah that I may rebuild. Notice how he continues to avoid the naming of Jerusalem. This allows Artaxerxes to save face. Artaxerxes had allowed himself a way out with that earlier decree. Here, Jerusalem is never mentioned. So it could be Nehemiah shows up and, oh, by the way, Jerusalem's a city. Oh, well, the king said. The king said what the king said. Are we patient and bold? As we watch, as we pray, as we seek the opportunity the Lord may bring, do we recognize it when it comes? Are we, as we see with Nehemiah, as Jesus enjoins us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves? Are we ready? Do we join prayer with an expectation of action? Like that old yarn about two farmers who pray for rain. Afterward, one sits at the kitchen table and looks out the window, and the other goes and plows his field. Well, which are we? Have we prepared with prayer that we might be ready when the Lord presents an opportunity? We've seen the plight of God's people. We've seen the prayer of God's servant. We've seen God's servant pounce on the opportunity when it comes. But there's more. There's a power that energizes both prayer and action. We saw it in chapter 1, in verse 5, when Nehemiah prayed, said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He mentions it again in verse 9, echoing the covenant. But if you return, I will gather them. And then we have the remark that lays it bare at the end of chapter 2 and verse 8. The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. As we heard of Ezra. What undergirds the prayer and the action? What's the foundation 
that allows Nehemiah to stand. It's God's covenant. It's God's promise. It's God's hand upon him for good. Because, beloved, God delights to answer the prayers of those who are in Christ. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek, you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. But how many of us, because the door is not opened when we want it to be, because we seek and we didn't find in the way we expected, we leave off seeking and knocking. Fail to believe God's promises. God delights to answer the prayers of those who are in Christ. This is the ground of our confidence in prayer. It's what stands underneath our ability to act. That God's promises to us are yes and amen in Christ. So beloved, when you get discouraging news of things happening to and among God's people, pray. Pray and plan for action. Seek the Lord's face. Look for opportunity. Pounce on it when it comes. Standing in the confidence that God's hand is upon his people for good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God. That you have promised, and to your own hurt, in response to the broken covenant, you sent your Son. That he might bear those covenant curses on behalf of his people among whom we count ourselves. Lord, would you remind us of this precious truth? Would you comfort our hearts? Would you strengthen and encourage our prayers? Would you fill us with boldness and watchfulness? Because these things are yes and amen for us in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.